This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The trout are where the trout are. <laughs> and you kind of learn where they are. Um, but here, it's a whole other challenge as far as, you know, reconning a spot, really learning how the wind influence and the tidal influence affects a specific area, what the fish are doing, what they're eating. Um, the similarities are the match the hatch component. Yep. But when your your fishing pressure increases 40% and you don't change your regulations, it's simple math. In Georgia right now, 21 years, the slot changes haven't, haven't changed. And for us, no limit changes have been in place for 36 years. We're almost pushing four decades. Seven Over 70% of people said they're dissatisfied with the redfish fishery here and so it really allowed they did their due diligence it allowed everyone that wanted to have a voice to have a voice the resounding response was there needs to be regulation change we're teed up to rebound quickly because we have one-third of the nation's marshlands on our hundred miles of Georgia coast our, our public service announcement for those of you <laughs> sitting at home saying I always wanted to fly fish or I want to do it don't be intimidated, just walk into the fly shop. We all started at the point where we knew nothing about what we were doing. And now you're gonna enter a community where you can learn from others. All right guys, welcome to another edition of the Skiff Wanderer podcast. Today I am in Brunswick, Georgia at On The Fly Outfitters, joined by Jared DeVincent. Did I say it right? Nailed it. That's like starting to become like my opening line is, <laughs> did I say that right? <laughs> I like it. um, Always good to get people's names right. So if you guys have been following the, the vlogs, actually before I even get into the podcast too much, we're in the fly shop. The fly shop is open. We're getting ready for a fly tying night at the fly shop. So if you hear some background noise, people coming in and out of the doors, phones ringing, um, that's just kind of what's going on. You know, I like to do these live and on the spot. So sometimes there's background noise and you guys have to deal with it. And I guess we do too, a little bit. Um, so anyways, so if you guys have been following along with the road trip that I did through Florida, um, I then went up into Georgia and fished, uh, fished Brunswick, Georgia with my buddy, um, Austin Young. And while we were fishing there, we took one of the mid tides and we came into this fly shop on the fly and we were talking to Davis. Mm -hmm. Um, we'd been, if you've seen the video, I don't know if the video will be out before or after this. We were having some issues catching redfish and we started talking to Davis a little bit about, um, kind of what's going on along the Georgia coast with the red fishery and, uh, really opened my eyes. I, I had listened, you did a podcast with Hunter Levine for the captain's collective and I had heard that 
And since then, you guys have had some more stuff kind of transpire along the lines of, of what's going on with the red fishery in Georgia. Um, and getting a chance to fish down here and then come into the shop and talk to, talk to Davis in the shop and kind of, you know, see it all big picture firsthand. I think immediately I was like, all right, when can we sit down and do a podcast? Cause we got to talk about this. Cause this is, this is not right. Um, and we're going to get into it a little bit more in the podcast today, but first thing, Jared, all right, where'd you grow up when you start fishing? <laughs> all right. I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up in New Jersey and, um, I'll get a little closer. Yeah. Mike. Grew up in New Jersey, went to college in, in Penn State University, and that's kind of where my introduction to fly fishing began. Okay. Uh, everyone knows the legendary Joe Humphreys out there at Penn State uh, and George Daniel taking the reins. Um, so they've been pretty well known for fly fishing. And really at that point in college, I just dipped my toe in the water. I, I mean, I did a couple, you know, took a couple classes and, and went out to the creeks there. And then it kind of tucked it away. Got busy, graduated, went to work, um, took a little detour to Manhattan, worked in New York City, which was the absolute wrong direction to go in my life uh, for me personally, and uh, realized what not to do. And then my wife and I moved out to Telluride, Colorado, and uh, got back on track again. Yeah. And in Telluride, um, my good friend John Duncan, he owns Telluride Outside and Telluride mm-hmm. Angler out there. It's him and his team that really introduced me back into fly fishing, and and the rest is history. Ever since then, um, fly fishing has been a passion of mine. Um, moved out here 12 years ago to Georgia, and my background's in marketing, and marketing brought me here, and I fell in love with coastal Georgia. Uh, we have one-third of the eastern seaboard's marshes, marshlands here along the coast. It's absolutely gorgeous, great fishery but you know my fly fishing experience prior to moving here was all trout rivers and streams and you know dead drifts yeah and uh it was eye-opening to come here and and try to (laughs) fly fish in salt water um my first redfish on fly i believe was in um little saint simon's island which was one of the islands right off our our mainland here we have four barrier islands little saint simon's saint simon's sea island and jekyll island make up the golden isles of georgia and uh, we went out there with friends, and it's one of those eco-retreats. Only 32 guests can be there at a time, and you have 10,000 acres to yourself. How do you get to go do that? <laughs> <laughs> I was working in marketing at the time and helping them out with marketing, and so I was very lucky enough to get a trip on, onto the island, and my wife and I got to stay out there. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but it's one of those things, like all your food's included, your lodging and rustic lodging's included. You have to take a boat to that island. You can't drive to it. And once you're there, you can do whatever you want on the 10,000 acres. They have fly rods in a, a shack, uh, a tackle shop, and you can pick up some flies. You can do conventional casting. You can just go birding, go on a hike. And it was, you know, that's where my first redfish was caught. Um, do you remember? Do you remember that? What was that story behind that first redfish? It was. I still had no idea really what I was doing, uh, but it it brought me back the particular place where I was fishing on Little St. Simon's Island, and people that have been there know it well, there's a, a creek that kind of bends into a certain point, and it was reminiscent of my fly fishing in Colorado. I went back to the, the yeah. drift, <laughs> and, you know, just the redfish slammed, slammed yeah. that fly, and I remember reeling it in, and again, I was hooked at the next level. And yeah. Just wanted to pursue it further, wanted to learn more, and wanted to continue that journey. That's what I've, I've always, like, anybody i've ever talked to about about fly fishing it's like once you hook that first fish it's over it's addictive you're done (laughs) what um do you remember i know it was 12 years ago but do you remember some of the challenges coming from freshwater background into salt water and i mean you know we're not close i guess we're kind of close to some freshwater fisheries but i mean yeah there's some good bass fishing inland and you know altima hansatilla river i mean you have like bluegills and stuff but but what, like, what were, do you remember some of the challenges that you like, like for somebody that, yeah, do. that has done a lot of fresh water and they're thinking about salt water, like some of the challenges they need to be prepared for, uh, casting and wind influence <laughs> and, you know, all of, the, all of the influence, you know, we have a lot more influence here where, especially in the golden Isles, we have six to eight foot, sometimes eight to 10 foot tide swings. And so where you go fishing has to be dependent on the specific time 
to go to that spot. And yeah. Whereas, you know, out in Telluride, you really just, the trout are where the trout are. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of learn where they are. Um, but here, it's a whole other challenge as far as, you know, reconning a spot, really learning how the wind influence and the tidal influence affects a specific area, what the fish are doing, what they're eating. Um, the similarities are the match the hatch component. Yep. But other than that, it's extremely challenging. I had to learn how to cast beyond 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was a challenge in itself. Did you have your double haul down? I did not at that point when I first caught my first redfish. <laughs> it was really like a flop. I think I had like 10 foot of fly line out, 10 foot leader. <laughs> and I was very lucky. You know, it was, it was not, it was a narrow creek. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, um, it's one of the things that I've always that I, that I've said multiple times is the guys that are you know like you've you've had a chance to fish Texas now yes and yes. so Texas we I'm probably gonna catch some slack for this but <laughs> we have in my opinion we have like four tides a year we get a you know we get high tide in summer and winter and we get a low tide in spring and fall yep. um, and so like a lot of our current and everything is wind driven and it's windy all the time so I've always really like looked at the guys that can get it done on the on the east coast with the six to ten foot tides like i mean that's you know you've got a two maybe a four hour window where the fish are going to be in a spot where you can sight cast to them Mm -hmm. and if you pick the wrong creek that's your day you know you're waiting for the next tide cycle so i've always had a lot of respect for the guys that are, are fishing south carolina georgia in North Carolina and, and even Northern Florida where, you know, they can go out and get it done every single day. Those guys, it's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole nother level. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. That's beyond where I'm at as well. You know, we're very lucky to have, um, a great captains working with us. Captain yeah. Michael Garcia is on our team here and our manager of our shop. And he's, he's shown it, shown me firsthand. He grinds it out every day. He's yeah. reconning when he's not fishing all the time. He's the fi- probably one of the fishiest dudes I've, I've ever met um but you need to do that here with that tidal influence like you said you could have a two to four hour window and if you pick the wrong creek your day's shot yeah um but these guys are getting really good at timing that tight window to hit two or three spots or three or four spots to increase their percentages um especially with what's going on with our local fishery here with redfish yeah it's it's an added layer oh yeah yeah no that's something um like I've been able to spend over the last few last year. So I've been able to spend some time with, um, with one of my buddies who I've already mentioned Austin. Um, and he's up in Charleston and he's taught me that of, you know, having an A, B and C spot and being able to recognize like really quickly, like, all right, A's not working. We got to move and we got to move now. Mm -hmm. And I think like, if you're coming to the East coast and you want to get into red fishing, like, it's going to be a grind. I, I was talking to Michael earlier and I think he said five months before he put his first. Yeah. Before he put, you know, he was committed to fly <laughs> for five months before he even hooked his first redfish. Yeah. And that's that dedication, yeah. you know, just to really learn it on his own as well. I mean, he had some mentors along the way, but he's, you know, he's been an example of leading the charge. He really wanted to learn it on his own and analyze the tides, analyze the conditions. And once, I mean, it's that much more fulfilling once you get that oh, yeah. first fish on the oh, fly. Oh my goodness, it is. It makes everything just completely worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the 12 years that you have been down here, how much change have you seen in in the coast? I've, I've seen, it's, it's drastic change. I've seen a ton of change, yeah. um, especially with the unprecedented pandemic in the mix. You know, yeah. throw that into the mix. It's, <laughs> It's, it's night and day, the fishing pressure that was here when I first arrived and I was scouting it to, as a potential place to move yeah. in my career, it was quiet. There's no boat pressure. I mean, if you were out there on the water, you were lucky if you saw a boat. Yeah. Um, now post pandemic, um, it's a lot different. There's a lot of boating pressure there. You know, during the pandemic, a good indicator for me was to see shoreline Marina over down the street here sells a lot of boats mm-hmm. and when their lot was empty for because they just for months they sold out i've never seen that before in over a decade here besides that point and that tells you a lot it's a good indicator of there's a lot of folks changing their lifestyle 
they're working remote or working from home. So now they've gained this luxury of, oh, I can fish I on can, Monday, yeah, Wednesday, right. Thursday, and then I'll just get work done at night or I'll get work done on the weekend. Yeah, yeah they can they can now look and say, all right, the tide's going to be right at 8 a.m. If I don't roll and start work until 10, no one's going to know exactly. as long as I get all the, you know, all the boxes checked. Exactly. That's, that's I mean, you know, the, it's the same thing, though. I, in Texas, when I first started running my skiff over there, we'd never see anybody. And now I've been out in February on a Thursday and you can't get away from people. Yeah. And I think it's, I, you know, we talk about so much um, like influences on, on the fishery from commercial industry having negative impacts. And I think it gets overlooked so much, the, just the amount of pressure that's on the <coughs> water now. Um, and it's not, not, I mean, it's, it's not good, especially like if you look at, a, and and this is, yes, this is a good segue. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Now if you look landing. at if you look at the the limits that people are allowed to keep, you know, you you exponentially raise the amount of of anglers on the water, and you don't you don't negate that that with the with changing your limits and lowering your limits, mm-hmm. you're going to start losing fish fast. Yeah, it's simple math, right? Yeah. It's, you know, you see the increase in pressure, and we've been told, you know, time and time again, there's different percentages, but um, I think the latest percentage that we've been using for Georgia Saltwater Angler Association is 40%. And increase. that's not just a percentage that we pulled out of thin air. That is a vetted percentage from, you know, aggregate data across many associations. 40% increase in fishing pressure over the past decade. And, you know, the pandemic definitely had a big oh, impact yeah. on that. But when your your fishing pressure increases forty percent and you don't change your regulations, it's simple math. It's simple. <laughs> you need to adjust to your varying conditions, right? In order to maintain a healthy fishery, and we haven't. We've stayed stagnant in Georgia right now. Um, I'm, you know, I'm glancing at my notes to make sure I get it right as well. But slot changes haven't changed, and now it's twenty one years since I last talked about this. It, I was saying 20 years. It's 21 years the slot changes haven't, haven't changed for redfish regulations. And fishing increase, you know, fishing pressure increased 40% in 10 years. Yeah, and that doesn't even factor in the 11 years prior to 10 years ago. Exactly. And for us, no limit changes have been in place for Ten- 36 years. We're almost pushing four decades where they haven't changed the, the limits. So number of fish per person. And right now it's five fish per person per day. Mm-hmm. No vessel cap, no vessel limit whatsoever. So if you have a boat of four anglers on there, each of them can catch five fish per day. It's 20 redfish per day. And and they can keep the captain. If they if they have a guide on the boat, they can keep the captain's fish too, right? That's correct. So that's 25 fish, you know, for a boat of four anglers. So um, we've gone through a rigorous... Um, campaigning through we started chad debose up at um, rivers and glen outfitters and he's a captain up there with tall tides charters he's the president of georgia saltwater angler association i'm the vice president we kind of formulated a grassroots um nonprofit to be able to have a larger voice because Mm -hmm. they weren't listening to our captains and we'd have informal meetings and we'd meet with the dnr and coastal resource division and they just weren't listening or brushing us aside they're saying you know what the captains are seeing on the water is social data that that's not scientific data. Our argument is that is scientific. It's just a different way to collect the data. Right, which which I find interesting when you look at, and this is just the, the best example that's in my head right now, when you look at Red Snapper, where the Red Snapper data is coming from what the captains are catching on the water. Exactly. You know, or that's where they want to pull all the data from. And that's where they want to say, look, you guys are catching this many snapper, but you're killing this many snapper. So there's not that many left. Mm-hmm. But with the redfish in Georgia, they want to say, no, no, the captains don't know what they're talking about. Right. They're saying that's the, the data we're looking at to, to influence this change has to come from our scientists. We won't take any external data. Um, The only external data they will take is from surveys they conduct. And so they did do a survey last year. Um, It's the first survey, I think, since 2017. Um, And in that survey, we we saw across the board over 70% of people said they're dissatisfied with the redfish fishery here, with redfish population. 
over 70% of the respondents. And that's not just fly anglers, that's conventional, that's across the board, all anglers that took this survey. 70%. 70% said they're dissatisfied. So not just our captains seeing an issue, you know, they definitely have the most time on the water, That over 240, 250 days. Some of these captains over 300 days a year. That's their office. Yeah. If anyone's going to see things are changing, they're going to notice it first. Right. And we always equate that to the canary in the coal mine, right? It's like they're going to give us the warning sign to make the change proactively before we're in a place where we have to make it reactively. And we, no one wants to be in that place because you could be at a point of no return or you could, it could result in us closing the fishery. Right. And that would be a drastic impact on our economy, um, you know, on our fly shop, on a lot of businesses. If you close, have to close that redfish fishery, I couldn't imagine the no. economic impact. Right. And, and people's livelihoods that would be impacted. You know, it's funny with the with the economic outlook. That's what always seems to be. It's it's really sad, but unfortunately, that seems to be what always has to trigger yeah. change. Um, I mean, you look at you look at the Everglades. They mm-hmm. finally hit hit the lawmakers with the economic impact of the Everglades, and they got change. Um, when we were facing the the oyster issue in Texas, we started hitting them with the economic value of the resource for um, for recreational fishing versus versus oyster farming or oyster harvesting, and right. finally got them to to start listening to us. Um, what's I know I know you touched on it with Hunter, but like, what's the last year been like? Because I know you guys have been fighting hard. <laughs> and like kind of like what's the last year been like and like where where are you guys at it's been a lot I mean we start we really started hit campaigning hard the end of 21 2021 and then you know we became more official in, in founding Georgia Saltwater Angler Association in the beginning of 22 and then 22 was the most productive year I mean we all worked and again this isn't our main job right this sometimes is our second or third job where we're actively, it's like pushing a boulder uphill. Right. And we're all tag teaming to keep that momentum moving forward. So it is grueling for anyone that's done it. You know, um, a lot of our friends are in the same boat. Um, Benny Blanco and, and Chris with Captains for Clean Water. Mm-hmm. And they've they've been essential in providing us with advice and, and feedback yeah. and how to handle it. And when we're down and we're feeling blue and we're feeling defeated, they're telling us, don't worry, hang in there, keep the pressure, you know, keep your foot down on the pedal. Yeah. Um, it's the long game that you have to do, go through. So last year, we were very successful in getting DNR Coastal Resource Division to have two what they call Redfish Town Hall meetings. And mm-hmm. they, had, they would always have one in Savannah and one in Brunswick. Um, along our 100 miles of coast in Georgia, those were the two main places to really gather the troops and, and get people to listen. After that, they did a survey. So that was their second survey in a number of years. And so they weren't going to compare the results of that satisfaction, the angler satisfaction survey with the previous one. And they, that's where we, we told you over 70% of people said they're dissatisfied. Yeah. Um, then they went up to an open comment period for a number of months. And from based on the satisfaction survey results and the panel disc, or the Redfish Town Hall meetings, um, the DNR was actually very good in, in presenting uh, during a public hearing. So they had two public hearings, one in Savannah again, one in Brunswick, and they basically aggregated all the data, all their findings from the survey, and they presented it. Yeah. And they kept that open comment period open after that last meeting. I think our last meeting was in September. They kept the open comment open until October 6th. And so it really allowed, they did their due diligence. It allowed everyone that wanted to have a voice to have a voice. The resounding response was there needs to be regulation change. Coastal Resource Division agreed. They actually drafted up their proposal based on the data. You know, they, they didn't just throw a new number out there. They said, this is the number that we can propose for new regulation changes. And they were about to present it to the board for uh, our local DNR, and there was a bit of a political upheaval. Um, yeah. 
And basically what that was is one particular legislator was not happy with any regulation changes. And he had five other uh, legislators sign a document that stated they were very unhappy with it and it stalled the proceedings. Um, DNR delayed their presentation to the board um, where they were going to propose and vote on new regulations for redfish. We were right there. It was like looking at the finish line, getting ready to do the victory dance, and, um, and it was just taken away from us. They kept moving that line further and further away, and we never reached it. Um, we were told that they were going to have some private meetings just with the legislators to mm -hmm. say, look, look at all this due diligence we've done in the past year. Um, look at all the people that have taken this survey. And out of that survey, the 1,300 responses, again, that was more than 70%, 75 were in favor of all three measures. So when they proposed the new regulation changes, which was three fish per person from five, they put a vessel cap, I think, of like nine fish. At least there was a cap, but it was still higher than we wanted to right. see it. Um, and then there was a captain no-take proposed, which it's a move in the right direction. Yeah. And that would have been a victory for us to at least move the needle. Right, um, right. At least give get... an increase in pressure. Um, they never had that meeting with the legislators, as far as we know. Never presented that data to the legislators, and it never moved forward from there. And now the word is that they're going to just stand back, they're going to stand down um, until a federal stock assessment is done. And that stock assessment comes up this year, mm -hmm. um, if not early next. And want, they're going to wait on the stock assessment data. They're going to wait on that direction to guide their decision. What does that stock assessment look like? It just comes from a federal level versus the state. Is it, um, it's the same kind of research like gillnet and trot lines and yes cert, just to kind of get a feel for over the coastline. oh yeah so they're the gonna the, they'll run the entire coast and they'll get an idea of of what they're seeing for numbers of redfish mm -hmm. i got a creek that i can send them to <laughs> that'll help you guys <laughs> <laughs> share that with me after the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean like you don't want to like we uh um no, I mean, like when we were fishing here, like we, you know, I, I grew up fishing South Carolina and it was, we were looking at the exact same kind of topography that we look at in South Carolina and we were going and like, we were finding, we were finding bait, we were finding crabs. We were, I mean, we were finding everything that screamed this should be loaded full of redfish. You're talking about your last visit yeah, when you came to when see we us. Came and fished when here. we came and fished here. Yeah. When we yeah. were fishing like not yeah we were fishing around here mm -hmm. and like we were seeing everything that you should that you would be looking for on a, in a creek or on a flat for redfish in just ghost town yeah. i think we saw we, in 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 two days of fishing we saw one redfish and we didn't even realize it was a redfish it was, it was just, he was just <laughs> chilling on the bank and like we're pulling past him and i'm, I'm like no, he would move. We're too close. Like he's like two feet away. I'm like he would, he would move if that was a red. And then of course you know get past he takes off. Yeah. But and I mean, I left here, and I went um, and I went and I fished. I got family in Hilton Head, mm -hmm. and I left here, went and fished Hilton Head, fished flood tides in Hilton Head, um, in an area where I can see Savannah. Right. And that close. Yeah you know 10 redfish on a flat and they were on the small end probably like 22 yeah. you know they're in that 22 to 27 and it's like how come i come on this side of the river and i'm seeing this and i go on the other side of the, of the savannah river and it's a ghost town i mean they it, it, although it's all connected and all our coastlines are connected and you know we recently had florida change from even two redfish to one redfish yeah. in one of their regions um they're at two redfish per person. Our neighbors to the north, they've changed their regulations. Mm -hmm. um, again, we haven't changed ours in 36 years. No limit changes in 36 it's years, crazy. almost four decades. And um, 21 years for slot change. And all your neighbors are constantly changing, and they're, they're reacting to the environment around them, and we're just putting our head in the sand and <laughs> saying that it's okay, and it's, it's not okay. Um, you know, you look at the data, you have to keep in mind these scientists, they are doing 
very good studies. The, right. You know, Gilnet studies, Tremlinet studies, but it's not the full picture. If anyone were to tell you all of the studies that the DNR Coastal Resource Division does is the full piece of the pie, it's 100% of the picture, they're lying. They have never said that, but they would even agree that, yes, we're only seeing, our, our studies are only collecting data from small subsets right. of this environment. So you, you would argue that, okay, we need other sources of information, and what the captains are seeing on the water is the perfect piece of right. the puzzle. because those guys are going into every single creek. They're exactly. going up every river. They're going in every creek. They're going offshore, inshore. Like they're covering so much water that, that a study can't. Like, right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And they're out there every day. So, you know, when they start passionately and their own time coming to meetings and vo voicing their concern when this is their livelihood, um, you know, some of the people taking the surveys, the data is not, you have to take it for what the source right. is, right? And you have some anglers coming from Atlanta and they're coming in for a week or two vacation and they're booking their captain. Well, they don't know what went into that trip. Yes, they were successful. They yeah. found redfish, they caught redfish and they go back to Atlanta and they say, the fishery's amazing. In that window, it's amazing for them because our captains are working really hard, reconning twice as much as they should. And putting them on those fish. If they came out here as a recreational hangar without a captain, they would start to see um, drastic, oh, yeah. how much hard work it is to find these fish. And you saw that firsthand yeah. when you came to visit us. I did it when I did that reverse trip. I went up to where your family is in Hilton Head, and like you said, the right tide, the right conditions. I saw bait, I saw all the signs, and there were redfish. Yeah. But here you can go out time and time again you have all the right signs and there's no redfish. So let's do something about it. Yeah. Um, let's start to make people more aware of this. The fishery is not bad by any means. I mean, we have great a trout fishery here, flounder. There's so many fish you can go after, not just redfish, but re redfish is our year-round fishery. So we want to protect it. Right. Um, it's a big impact to our economy. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, and, and I think that's huge. They are fun. <laughs> yeah, and I mean... You guys, if, if you guys have never been to the Georgia coastline and you're listening, if you've been to South Carolina, if you've been, uh, most of you, I think probably the most common place where people have gone along this coast is probably Charleston. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine Charleston without all the houses, with just miles of sea islands, hummocks, marshes, with you're not going to see boats you're not going to see like mm -hmm. that that's georgia and i mean if you like where i where i fish in south carolina a lot is you you get that too a little bit but like that was i mean that was god it's so pretty down there <laughs> which we were talking about earlier um with just brun i mean you know you show me around brunswick a little bit more when um and you know this place has changed so much from when I was growing up. I, I, if you got, I, I, I want to see the redfish here because I think this would be a fantastic little hole in the wall redfish spot on the Absolutely. on the east coast. Absolutely. This town is not what I remember as a kid. Mm -hmm. We well, to be fair though, we never made it off ninety five. Most people haven't. <laughs> and even that, it was normally like, oh, do we need to stop here? It used to be the best kept secret, and then people would discover it when they, I guess, did their family vacation at Disney World, or yeah. they would travel from north to south, and this would be a pit stop that they just stumbled upon. Yeah. But now, in the past decade, we've had a tremendous push with our Golden Isles Convention and the Visitors Bureau, um, marketing very well and making people more aware of what we have here. And it, you're right, it's absolutely beautiful. This is the longest I've lived in any place yeah and I don't plan on moving no it because it is that special but yeah. that's the silver lining too if we actually proactively make these regulation changes we're teed up to rebound quickly because we have one-third of the nation's marshlands on our hundred miles of Georgia coast right how incredible is that? that's the best estuary you can have that's where most of the sea life is reproducing and we will bounce back. We just need to leave it alone. We just need to, you know, help kind it. of help it and, yeah. and back off a little bit, uh, relieve some of that pressure and watch it come back. And it will be incredible. I'd much rather have, you know, keep two redfish 
over 18 inches than five redfish at 14 inches. Which is right now our slot's 14 inches to 23 inches. What is someone There's doing no with a 14, a 14 inch? What are you doing with a 14 inch redfish? Making redfish, red, redfish sticks. Just yeah. fry it whole. Exactly. No, and, and it's, oh man, you know, it's, it's one of those, um, like the, the, and uh, hopefully this is somewhat encouraging. So when we went through the oyster fight, um, the first time it went before our commission, it got, it got denied and we were, I was not happy. I mean, there was a lot of us that were like, yeah. what are you guys doing? And, uh, and this is where I'm, I'm praying. I'm hoping that you guys see the same thing when it went up the second time before the commission, it was a unanimous vote and the commission called for better regulations of the, of the oyster fishery as well as, as well as like they wanted to start making sure that like mariculture on the Texas coast got more of a streamlined process so we could start more mariculture. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that with you guys and and what you guys are seeing that, that, you know, you guys kind of, you took a punch yeah, and that I'm hoping that it'll turn around and it's, it's where they go. Okay. This is, you know, we're not, we're not going to just go with the regulations we propose, but we're going to make sure we go two Absolutely. more steps forward. Absolutely. And we see that, you know, yeah. we know it's daunting and we, don't, we know that that last year and a half is not fruitless at all. By any means, we've built better relationships with DNR. Um, yeah. We're communicating much better than we were prior to formalizing Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association. Um, we're starting to have productive, much more productive conversations mm -hmm. and we're building momentum as far as how many people are signing our petition on yeah. saltwater, georgiasaltwater.org. And, um, you know, how many people are more aware and actively calling legislators and sending emails to legislators and taking action. Now they're starting to pay attention and we're starting to meet with these legislators and incumbents and senators. Um, and we're learning how to do that from guys that have done it. <laughs> Before us, like Benny Blanco and Chris Wenham and, you know, um, Tony Friedick over at American Saltwater Guide Association, like, we're all in this together. Um, we might be fighting a slightly different battle in our region, but it's the same battle. Yeah. Um, and That's if what... we can arm the troops from everywhere when we need them, like, if you could actively just push an, you know, activate button and activate everybody, we can, we'll all get this done. That's we what, will all get this done. What Benny always preaches one community, one coast. Exactly. Yeah. He's a hundred percent right. Yeah, he is. All right. So, um, we're going to change it up a little bit. All right. So we are, we're sitting in the fly shop. Yes, we got we fly tying going on tonight. Um, how often do you guys do that? We try to do it monthly. Okay. We try to do it monthly. Um, we'll do a fly tying night and then we just, our last big event was the F3T fly yeah. fish and film tour. And we had that down in the historic Ritz theater and, um, we closed off the street. We had a skiff show. Uh, Blaine Chocolate came in and did a game changer fly tying at our brewery, Silver Bluff Brewery. And, um, you know, you saw the hotel right yeah. next door. So oh, yeah. we made every once in a while, I try to do twice a year, a big event. Mm -hmm. And then monthly we'll have in shop events and some classes. Okay. And you do do classes. We do. Okay. We do fly uh, tying and fly casting classes, which is something that, um, so I get asked a lot from guys that are trying to get into fly fishing and, and one of the things I get asked is like, how do I start? How do I learn? And this is how you start. This is how you learn is you find your local fly shop. You Absolutely. figure out what night they're doing fly tying. If you've never tied a fly, you guys are about to learn that my ability to tie flies is very lacking. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you've never cast a rod, you know, find those events, come down, hang Absolutely. out with the guys and one of the things that I've learned too is a lot of times, like you start going to those events, you, you start taking it serious, you start learning, like everybody that hangs out in a fly shop wants to fish. So and you have a common interest immediately, and, right? And they never have enough people to fish with. <laughs> so if you want to learn, if you want to learn how to fly, you know, to fly fish better and you want to figure out how to do all this, like just start hanging out at a fly shop, yeah. show them that you're interested. You know, obviously don't do it just so you can try to get a free trip out of it, but it's a good way to, to meet people in the community. It's a good way to, I mean, like I, I moved to Texas, I started fly fishing. That's what, that's how I know everybody that I know in Texas is through fly fishing. Um, and 
a lot of it is guys that are like, you know, like, hey, I, uh, I'm going to go out on Tuesday. I, I don't even want to go away. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you open up your world to it. The fly fishing community, too, is like, it's one of the best communities you could ever be a part oh, of. Yeah. They're so giving. They're fun. I mean, like you said, we, you show up at the shop, you have a common interest immediately. So what do you have to lose? Like for, for those, our, our, our public service announcement, for those of you sitting at home saying, I always wanted to fly fish or I want to do it, don't be intimidated. Just walk into the fly shop. We all started at the point where we knew nothing about what we were doing. And now you're going to enter a community where you can learn from others. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, but I know see? still a lot of people come in. They're so intimidated. They're like, it is. It's like they're almost at a confessional. They come up to the, to the register and they're like, they see how like chill we are with other customers. And they're like, okay, this seems like a safe space. Um, let me ask. Now, I've never fly fished before. And we're like, why was that so hard to say? <laughs> it's okay. You're allowed to be here. Yeah. And, oh. and we're here to help you fly fish and uh, let you know that it's not as difficult as you think and you want to know let's tie a knot right here let's teach you the anatomy of the fly rod and then you know like you said you'll meet a lot of cool people to go on the water with yeah and it's definitely like community wise i don't think i've ever really been a part of a community of people that are more excited about what they're doing every day that's true (laughs) like that's true I have to, I have, like, if I'm going to go into the fly shop at home, I have to make sure that I have, like, everything taken care of for that day. Because <laughs> it might be 10 minutes. I might go in and get, like, the, the five things that I need. Well, yeah. like, the one that by my house is, like, is, uh, it's, it's, it's a fly shop inside of a big fishing store. Okay. So sometimes the fly guys are, like, have, like, 20 customers on top of them. Right. But so sometimes I can get in and out of there pretty quick when normally it's like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to sit here and talk to somebody for 40 minutes. <laughs> and it That's is. True. My wife just laughs. You know, it, I owned a fly shop for over, almost six years now. And every destination we go to, that's my home base. I go to the local fly yeah. shop. We were just down in the Keys and we were at seven mile fly shop all the time. And I tell my wife, you know, I'm just going to be, you know, I'll be back. I'll be back in, in 30 minutes. I'll be back in an hour. She's like, yeah, okay. This dude, what do you, whatever. My wife, my wife Good try. Good try. <laughs> be like, Hey, I got to go by Roy's real quick. And she's like, I'm not going with you. Like, oh, exactly. I just got to get like two things. He's like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so she'll, so, I'll say that at like lunch. She's like, so di- I'm dinner on my own tonight. I'm like, yeah, probably. And the other thing too, like, you know, we're talking about like your local fly shop. Um, the other thing too, is if you're fishing a new area, I mean, you're just talking about the keys. We, we, we rolled into Brunswick yeah, and we just were like, actually, you know, what's funny. And this is honestly where fly shops are in my book is like, when I go somewhere, the whole time Austin and I were talking about it, like, we have to go to the fly shop. We have to go to the fly shop. Like we just wanted to come see it. Yeah. You know? And, um, awesome. That's awesome. But it's, it's one of those, like, if you're fishing in a new area, I mean, like, you should go by the fly shop because those guys are going to talk to you about what's going on. Absolutely. They're not going to tell you where to go, but they're going to at least, you know, hey, they're, you know, the shrimp are running, you know, we just had the shrimp running right now. Yeah. So, all right, I got to use shrimp patterns, you know, or or stuff like that. They'll give you, like, everyone's going to give you advice. Yeah. Again. We're kind of our own worst enemy because we love fly fishing and watching each other succeed so much that we don't know when to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guilty of that. All the time. Yeah. Um, but it helps, right? You know, here I think the first thing, I think we're constantly preventing people from uh, being seen on the qualified captain <laughs> because, <laughs> you, you know, here we have six to eight foot tide swing. Yeah. And you're, you can't just roll in and then launch your boat like that's significant tide swing you have to understand we have some boat launches here that are bone dry an hour before and an hour after low tide so just save yourself the trouble come into the fly shop and we'll we'll arm you with that information so at least you could be a little more informed when uh, you might not be here only 30 minutes you might be here much longer <laughs> when like we Pete. came back when we came back from ICAST the other day um and we were coming through by brunswick we uh we went over one of the bridges that we had been kind of hanging around fishing around 
and uh, it was a it was a lower tide than we had ever than we saw when we were fishing here. Yeah. And we're going over the river, and I go, oh, there's a sandbar in the middle of that river. I did not know that was there. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like looking, and I'm like, I definitely ran across that sandbar, and mm-hmm. like. If yeah, if you don't know what you're doing with a six to eight foot tide, you can get yourself into trouble real quick. I mean, it still happens. I mean, people won't invent it, but you could be fishing here a decade and it'll still happen to you because oh, yeah. it, it changes yep. that much. Yeah, and, you know, it's happened to each of us. Michael might not admit it, but it's happened. <laughs> um, intentionally stuck. It, it, intentionally. He was intentionally stuck, right? But it does happen. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all these barrier islands, for those people that aren't familiar, you know, your listeners more inland or other destinations, they're constantly moving. Yep. Um, so they're you know, kind of decreasing on the north end and they're growing on the south end. And that creates these little sandbar tails. And um, after a big storm, you, you kind of have to just move a little more cautiously. Every if, creek is different. <laughs> every creek is different. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. Sure. That I'm like 50%. Like this is supposed to be the the question, and I forget to ask it about half the time. Oh man! Um, oh man! I'm nervous now. <laughs> um, Big build up. Hunter Hunter actually told me to rephrase it, so we're gonna try out Hunter's uh, rephrasing of this question. Um, if you're on death row, oh man, and they allow you to go on a three day fishing trip, uh, where are you going? What are you What are you fishing for? Um, I do have a top three. I'll try to narrow it down for the purpose of your question, but I would say, can I say the top two? You can say the top three. I'd say the top three. Yeah. I'd say, um, Seychelles for sure. Yeah. Definitely want to go to the Seychelles. It looks absolutely incredible. And a a friend of mine, Edgar went there and I've just kind of lived vicariously through, through that trip. (laughs) And I'm like, I've been drooling ever since seeing those photos. And then, um, after talking with Oliver, uh, Oliver White, he's, you know, I asked him the same question. Yeah. And so it's kind of like Oliver's. Yeah. It's kind of Oliver's, but if Oliver says it's the best place, it's going to be the best place to, yeah. um, Bolivia. I want to oh, fish. Yeah. I want to fish in Bolivia. Yeah. So I'd say Seychelles and Bolivia. Yeah. What was the third one? The third one has come up fairly recently yeah. in talking with Vince and, and a couple others, the chandelier. Chandelier Island. Oh Pelican, yes, Chandelier. Yes, it's, yeah. Hunter, Hunter. I want to go on that trip. Yeah, I do too. So, and that's I think that's attainable for me in the next next year or so. The other I've, ones I'll be saving yeah. for. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've looked at I've looked at the number of times that I've looked at Chandelier and been like, I think I can get the skiff out there. <laughs> Don't know if we'll get it back. <laughs> That's the st- perfect start of an adventure right there. Oh, my goodness. That's it. Yeah. When yeah. you're trying to entice your friends to come with you, and that's your line that you give to them, and they're still like, hell yeah, let's do let's it. Let's do this. <laughs> that's how I feel every time I go in the Everglades. It's like, I don't know if we'll come back out of here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so Georgia Saltwater Association. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's Thank you, um, Thank you for You got us. a website. GeorgiaSaltwater.org. And then Instagram. Georgia Saltwater. And then the fly shop. On the fly outfitters. Okay. And um, that's OTF Outfitters on Instagram. But, okay. But yeah, come check us out if you're in Brunswick, Georgia. Um, you know, we're, we're directly between Savannah and Jacksonville, about an hour south of Savannah, hour north of Jacksonville. And like you said, I mean, you fished here. You did an eco tour here, <laughs> and then you fished a little bit at the end. Um, this fishery is incredible, and yeah. you know you can go to spots where there's a little bit more pressure, and depending on what you're going after, or you can venture out, and you can be in places that it looks like no one's ever been. And honestly, like I'm going to say this too: if you're driving down 95 and you've got, let's say, an hour or two, and you just want to cu- check out the fly shop, um, there is like. We, we ate at a restaurant up the street that had amazing sandwiches. You yeah. were telling me about a deli. Like, if you want to just make a lunch stop while you're driving down 95, what do you guys, sure. like, like 20 minutes off the interstate? Oh, it's so easy. It's is almost it closer? like, you know. 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, 15. I mean, 15 minutes off the interstate, you know, you can stop by the fly shop. You can, and, and 
they'll tell you exactly where to go get lunch that day. For sure. We're like a visitor center here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I use like my, my Jersey comes out very rarely, but we're in a bit of a jug handle, I guess yeah. you would call off of 95. So if you want to get off at exit 36 and if you're headed southbound, you can just hop back on at exit 29 and stop off at our shop or do that in reverse, reverse. heading north. And, um, we have a terrific brewery here, Silver Bluff Brewing. Um, you saw we're opening an indoor rock climbing gym next yeah. door. Um, fly fishing and the restaurants are incredible. We even have a speakeasy where if you know the password that day, the bookcase moves and there's a secret passage to a jazz club in the back. That's awesome. So there's a lot of cool things <laughs> happening in downtown Brunswick. All right. Well, um, if you guys are watching on YouTube, hit like, hit subscribe. And if you are listening on Spotify or Apple or whatever you're listening to your podcast on, five star review. I'm trying to remember what I'm supposed to say. I need like a I need like a in a podcast script. If you guys could leave a five star five stars and a, and a nice review for the yes. podcast, it helps us out a lot. And honestly, if you really want to help out, share it with your friends. Um, if you're on Instagram, follow, I'm going to say this real quick, follow Georgia Saltwater Association because that's going to be the best way Definitely. to keep up to date with what's going on in Georgia. I'm going to do everything I can to, to push that stuff as well. Appreciate it, man. I think that's it. Thank you. Thanks, man. Nailed it. Thanks for having us. Let's we appreciate you helping us get the word out. Hey, you know, one coast, one community. Exactly. Steal Benny's line. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's tie some flies. go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.